Hello there and welcome to the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. My name is James Copley and I'm joined as usual by my colleague Phil Smith. Phil, how are you today? Yeah, good thanks. Very, very, very cold, but otherwise fine. Yeah, it is uh, very chilly in the northeast. Phil, I wanted to start uh, quickly uh, just before we head into the, the transfer stuff and the Swansea City game and a bit of Sunderland ladies talk as well. Patrick Almond, um, obviously unfortunate situation for him, ex-Sunderland player, now at Darlington, uh, suffered a bleed on the brain and is now in hospital in London. Good to see that the football world rallying around him, though, Phil, a really unfortunate situation for a hugely talented youngster. Yeah, it's it's an awful situation because the lads obviously had you know, a horrendous run of luck since leaving Sunderland. Um, you know, I think he was involved, wasn't he, in a quite serious accident last year as well. And starting to make an impression at Darlington and get his career on track. So an absolutely um, dreadful situation to be in. Obviously, everyone's thoughts with his, with both himself and his family and hopefully, he can, you know, get, get his career back on track soon. But as you've said, you know, there's plenty of links on the website and what have you, if anyone's able to um, support Pratt and his family. Very, very talented young player. And by all accounts, a, a really nice young man as well. So f- fingers crossed that he, that he gets better and gets better very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Nearly £10,000 raised for medical costs now for Patrick Almond. Uh, as Phil says, the link is all over Facebook and Twitter. It's a GoFundMe page, but if you can't find it, just drop one of us an inbox and we'll point you in the right direction. Saturday, Phil, uh, Swansea City at the Stadium of Light in the Championship. I thought Sutherland started really well. Uh, Tony Mowbray alluded to it, but then came two crucial decisions in the space of 30 seconds. What did you make of first the Ahmad penalty shout and then the Luko 9 uh, sending off? Yeah, I thought in, in real time watching it, I didn't think it was a penalty for Ahmad. Um, and I didn't think it was a, um, a red card for Luko 9. Um Watching them both back, you kind of feel the other way because when it's slowed down, 09's challenge looks very wild. Um, and it looks like there's fairly clear contact on a mad. So I don't know, it was a strange one. The 09 one at the time, I thought it was a rash challenge, but I was expecting to see the yellow card. And my my feeling at the time was that the reaction of the Swansea players had probably tipped it over into a red. Um, but I don't think you can deny it all that it was a rash challenge. Um, he is very late to the ball, he has traveled a long way. Um I think ultimately, if you watch the game back, there will be a long list of strange decisions made in that game. <laughs> and I think, to be fair to the referee, who I thought generally was pretty abysmal, um, you know, that one, I, I, watching it back, it wasn't as bad a decision as I first thought. And I think the reaction of Tony Mowbray after the game sort of told its own story, really. He, you know, he clearly feared the worst as soon as the challenge made because of the intensity of it and the fact that Luke 09 had come so far to make that challenge. Listen, it's one of those. 09 plays on the edge. He's aggressive. Um, it's what's made him such a popular player. It's how he's been able to get up the leagues in such an impressive fashion. Um, you know, and I think as he, he said himself since, you know, it's something for him to reflect on. Um, it was just a shame because it just killed the game. I thought the mm. first 20 minutes, I was really enjoying it. I thought Sunderland were on top, but you could see that Swansea had some good players and they had a threat. You know, I was just kind of settling into what I thought was going to be a really enjoyable 90 minutes. And obviously, it just really killed it as a contest. I thought Sunderland did excellently. Mm-hmm. I thought the work rate was good. I thought they managed to find a way to just about have a threat. Dan Neal was superb, um, not just because of his goal. So I think there were positives. It, you know, it, I thought, you know, we've talked a lot about the spirit of this team and I thought they showed that. 
and being so competitive. But yeah, I, a few days on, I don't have massive issues with those decisions. Um, and it was just a shame, really, really shame that it kills what I think would have been a really entertaining game of football. You mentioned Luke O'Nine's um, commitment to Sunderland and, and how he plays and his sort of full-blooded nature. But for me, the, the tackle was a bit of a surprise. We know he likes the tackle, but he hasn't really shown that for a, for a fair while at, at centre-back. Certainly not that rash. He's, he's tended to be fairly measured, fairly calm, done the basics well. Uh, thinking back to the, the Coventry at home game, um, start of the season, I thought he was a little rash there and was maybe lucky he wasn't sent off and there was one in the QPR game. But since then, by and large, I thought he'd he'd calmed down. And I think in the end, it, it was a red card, but certainly a learned experience for Lugo Nine, who, to be fair to him, has been absolutely sensational for Sunderland at the back. It does present an opportunity, though, for the Middlesbrough game, Phil, just quickly. It's likely to be a, a partnership of Ballard and Bart, which is a pretty strong central defensive partnership for Sunderland in the Championship, I would suggest. Yeah, Bart was really good again, wasn't he, when he came on, picked up exactly where he'd left off. I know he was a bit unfortunate with, I think it was the second Swansea goal, wasn't it? But generally, I, th- I think he defended really well. He made a superb block in the first half in his sexy- six-yard box. Um, obviously, the assist for Neil's goal as well, which I assumed at first was Ross Stewart. Um, I'm still not entirely sure why Danny Bart was in the box. Um, but Especially I love at it. 10 men. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Baffling sequence of events, but I love it. Um, and a good header. So, and Danny Bart's been excellent. I think before his recent injury, I think a lot of fans would have put him, if not as player of the season, then they would certainly put him in the debate for most consistent player of the season. So I don't have any, um, don't have any reservations about him going back into the side at all. Um, I'm sure he won't let someone down. And again, I thought Ballard had another get, good game on on yeah. Saturday. I think he's settled very, very quickly back into the side. Looks very consistent. So um, obviously, I think it's a big shame because O9 has been brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I think probably having all nine and Ballard because of their athleticism, probably the one thing that does allow you to do is push up, up the pitch a little bit more um, because you know you've got that pace in your back line. And obviously, if you're a team that wants to dominate the ball, like something to work towards, you know, it's it's a real boost to have centre-halves like that. Um, but Bart's been excellent this season. Um, you know, I, I'm sure Mowbray would have been thinking about picking him even if all nine wasn't yeah. suspended, to be honest. That's how solid he's been. So, yeah, I, I don't think that's a position that you worry too much about in the short term. I thought the game, or one of the factors in the game underlined to me, was when Roberts came off after the red card and was obviously replaced by Bart. That underlined to me, Phil, just how good Roberts and Ahmad are when they are playing off each other. Ahmad, obviously playing in a in a ten man Sunderland side, he just couldn't find that that play to bounce off that player that was on his same wavelength. Having somebody so close to him really seems to benefit the pair of them, and and it was pretty obvious when Sudden lost that man um, that Ahmad's levels just dipped a bit, as you would expect, really with the, with the being ten man. Yeah, Roberts has started really well. It's a tricky one, isn't it, in that situation? I don't think you can criticise putting Bart on, um, and I think he sort of justified over the course of the game him coming into the game so early. You so probably suppose, need to leave. You probably need to leave Clark on for the width, don't you? Because Roberts I, comes inside a bit more. I think it's his ability to carry the ball as well from deep areas. Mm-hmm. I think Roberts is. I, listen, it was so harsh on Roberts because he's outstanding. Yeah. He's having a great season. He started the game really well. But if in that in that situation, Clark's sort of ability to carry the ball 30, 40 yards, um, I think is absolutely invaluable. Um, and obviously, he was heavily involved for the goal as well. Um, so it's one of those where I, I would imagine Roberts is feeling pretty hard done by at the end of the game. 
and rightly so. Um, but I can understand why the decision was made because I think in that situation, I think Clark is so valuable um, because he can relieve the pressure in terms of buying you a free kick. Roberts can do those things. Of course he can. But as you mentioned, what you want is you want Roberts and Ahmad on the edge of the opposition box with those little, neat little one-twos and the back heels and the clever little passes. Um, it was just a write-off of a game, wasn't it, in the end? It was just, <laughs> it, it was it was one of those games where you get away 80 minutes and you just, you want the game to be over. Um, yeah. you, you don't really feel a need to overanalyze it. You don't feel particularly critical other than, as we said, it was probably a misjudgment from 09 on reflection, but you're not looking at the team thinking that there's been an awful lot wrong. Um, you know, I, I do kind of think it's just one of those days that you get two or three times a season where just everything seems to go to go against you. And I suppose the, the key is now bouncing back on Sunday, um, mm-hmm. you know, and ensuring it's not the start of a little run um, of poor, poor results. Um, and yeah, there's no tougher test really in the league at the moment, um, mm-hmm. apart from maybe West Brom. But yeah, I think Sunderland have shown they can compete with anyone on the day. Yeah, a bad day at the office, but from one end of the spectrum to the other, Sunderland women doing extremely well to beat Durham in the northeast derby in the in the, the women's championship. Phil, you were there a really good result and a positive result for Sunderland. It was a massive result. Um, I think that you know if you look at the season so far, um, the results I think everyone would acknowledge have been disappointing. Um, but the vast majority of games that Sunderland have lost has been won one or two goals, it's been a set piece. Um, and they've been competitive while seemingly consistently coming out on the end, on the wrong end of these results, which I think has been really frustrating. Um, albeit you expect a part-time team in a largely full-time league is, is going to have some issues over the course of the season. Um, Saturday was, a, uh, Sunday, sorry, was a, it was a massive result, I think, to, to go behind twice. And there was very little between the two teams, but I think, you know, to for the players that, to come back from that scenario, um, you know, psychologically, it's going to be massive for them. It, it, it makes it a pretty big gap um, at the bottom of the table, which is really important because I think Coventry are strengthening at the moment and I don't think they'll be as bad in the second half of the season. Um, and I think the most encouraging thing for me was watching the game was the last 25 minutes, half an hour. Um, someone looked a real threat going forward. Um, you know, Katie Watson, who scored the winners, a young player, who needs obviously a minute's managing carefully with any as you would with any young player, but she's got so much pace. Um, and the way that her and Emily Scar sort of pushed Durham's defence back, um, teaming up with a new sign in Lizard Duke, you had a good debut. They played some really exciting football towards the end. They looked a real attacking threat. Um, and given that they're such a hard working team, that's a pretty good recipe. So um, yeah, significant result just in terms of the table, massive three points. Um, and I am quite hopeful that. You know, it'll be a bit of a turning point in the season, I think, psychologically to win against a team as strong as Durham. Um and to do it in that fashion. I think it was a it was a brilliant advert for the game. Really, really, really good derby had everything. Some absolutely wild challenges, some good, <laughs> some good, some not so good, loads of goals, um, plenty of drama. Yeah, it was a great game. Good turnout, great game. And I'm I, I am hopeful it'll help someone kick into mid table now going forward. Yeah, Sunderland coming twice from behind as well is, is hugely impressive. Obviously, you mentioned the discrepancies between a part-time team and a full-time team. Kira Ramshaw as well, one of the most experienced and best players for Sunderland, you know, she out for large parts of the season. But joy for us, really, in the um, in the Mark Donnelly derby, as we'll call it, our former colleague, we get the bragging rights over him. Um, 
But yeah, we'll move on to transfers, Phil, because that's probably why everybody is listening. We are over halfway through the January transfer window. No um, incoming deal yet for Sunderland, but we have been linked with a few. How far away is Sunderland from a transfer breakthrough, would you say? Are you privy to that information or is it just a case of wait and see? Um, I think the situation is developing, definitely, as you would hope it would be, to be <laughs> yeah. fair. Um, I'm not sort of hailing that as some like... Um, no, I think, from, from, from my understanding, I, I don't think at this stage we're necessarily preparing the scarf picks. Um, yeah. Although I could prove to be wrong. I, I, I don't pretend to be an oracle, as you all know, because I most certainly am not. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think we're necessarily at the scarf pick yet. But I think there are some pretty advanced discussions going on around um, certain targets. Um, I am pretty confident Sunderland will sign two players in this window. Um, it might be more than that. That you know, we may have Ella Sims coming back in addition to that, or another Loney coming in. Um, but yeah, I definitely think we'll see central midfield and, and the forward line strengthened before the end of the window. Um, you know, I'm hoping it won't be a, a last minute job. Um, because like I say, I think there are some fairly advanced discussions going on around some players. Um, from what I hear, I think there's probably still a little bit of work to do. Um, before we can before we can ready the scarves. But listen, it's, it can change so quickly um, and it can develop so quickly. So so we will wait and see. But yeah, I would say I'm increasingly hopeful of, of some good business this month. The striker situation remains very interesting. Obviously, Ross Stewart is the only sort of senior fit striker at the club. I say sort of only in a disparaging term, but he just happens to be a very good one. So that, that, that does help. Sunderland were happy to come into the season. Well, I say happy, but they came into the season with two strikers, Alice Sims. Obviously, he's gone back to Everton, could return to Sunderland. But do you think they'd be, happy is the wrong word, but satisfied if they've got just one striker in coming out of January? Or is the aim two, do you think? No, I think the aim is two. I don't. I think the aim is two. I think one sort of thing I would stress as well, not because to go over all ground, just because I think it's useful in terms of the discussion we're having now. It wasn't, Necessarily, I don't think that they were happy with only having two strikers at the end of the yeah. last window. Mm-hmm. I think when the Broadhead deal didn't come off, I think the discussion was then, do we go out and try and get another number nine? Um, yeah. I think they were unsure about the quality of the players they felt were attainable at that point. And what they instead did was sign Mad, who mm-hmm. they felt was brilliant um, and could fill in through the middle if needed. Now, you, if you we assess that decision now, I don't think he's ever going to be a striker. Um, so in that sense, it wasn't probably the right decision. But it also, Amad has won points for Sunderland mm. pretty much single-handedly. If I think back to the Birmingham game before the World Cup break. Um, Blackbird Rovers. Yeah, so he has made some massive contributions. So it was a good transfer decision. Um, but it was never the intention, I don't think, to have two normal strikers and then as many wide players as they had. Um, I think that was just, they made the decision that it was better to get a player of Amad's quality than to sign a number nine who they weren't entirely sold on, if that makes sense. Um, so the reason I bring that up now is because I think they do, I think the hope, hope is to have three strikers. Um, you know, they are definitely would like to add um, sort of a, a young player on a permanent deal who becomes someone's own player and who they can develop over a period of time to sort of really push Ross Stewart and maybe even take over from one day and um, depend on how that goes. Whether that happens in this window or not, I'm not entirely sure. That would be a question of whether they can, um, you know, meet uh, other clubs' asking price. Um, 
that is something that they will do either in this window or in the summer, if that makes sense. You know, that's a big part of the current plan is to add that long-term strategy to the ranks. What I think they would like to do and what they probably need to do um, is to add someone who you can pretty much hang your hat on now to go and help Stuart so that if Stuart ties in a game or Mowbray wants to rest him or he wants to go two up front, you can be pretty sure they can go on and do a job for you straight away. That's obviously a very different category of play. We're talking about someone probably with championship experience. Ideal scenario, I would suggest, is probably that Ella Sims comes back because he doesn't need time to integrate. He knows exactly what he's walking into. He's comfortable. Um, but clearly what you can't do is just sit around hoping that Ella Sims comes back because if he doesn't, um, you're in a big mess. And that's why we're seeing, I think, Sunderland's linked with a lot of other strikers of a similar profile, maybe on the fringes of a Premier League squad. Um because some of them need to, you know, they need to have some backup options. Um, so we will, we will wait and see. Um, but obviously, it's difficult, isn't it? Because Everton's in a real state of flux at the moment. And it's the kind of club where I don't think I'm being disrespectful or harsh when I say things could look very different on a number of levels in two weeks' time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a fine balance, I think, for Sunderland. Because I think, obviously, Sims coming back would be ideal. But you can't depend on it. Um, and that's why I think we're seeing some links to other players. Because... I think Sunderland fans would hope and expect, you know, that, that Sunderland are doing some serious contingency planning. Um, and obviously, the later the, wind go, the, later the wind go, window goes on, the more you probably think, you know what, we're going to have to do something here um, yeah. rather than wait. But like I said, there's a lot of factors at play at the moment. I think, um, you know, like I say, if they were able to land that kind of strike, I'm talking about that long-term one, would that make them a bit more relaxed? I honestly don't know is the answer to that. Um but clearly, is you know, if they weren't able to get that striker, then it makes the loan even more important. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think they are spending a few plates at the moment, but I think the, the goal remains, I think, to try and get two in, um, and certainly a midfielder as well. Um, I'm still relatively confident that will happen. Um, yeah. The um, the Everton thing's mad, isn't it? Just from the outside looking in, you sort of we 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 know that Sunderland will be monitoring the situation, but you hope. Sims just doesn't become collateral damage and, and they actually consider his development and all of this with so much going on at the club. I yeah. mean, there's ter- this turmoil at boardroom level. Frank Lampard could lose his job. There's talks of them bringing in um, Duvan Zapata on loan, who's rated at 17.5 million. You would expect if he comes in, then Ella Sims would surely go out. But the, the level of incompetence at that club at the moment, you just, you don't know what they're thinking. I think Ella Sims has played 18 minutes of football since his return at Everton. He's been brought on twice um, both times when when Everton were already losing, so I really feel for the lad. And then you had the the sort of confrontation between fans and players after the game against Southampton. Um, the poor old Ella Sims is is caught up in all of that. Was probably having quite a nice time of it two months ago, knocking in a few goals yeah. for Sunderland. And yeah, but well, listen, listen at the end of, at the end of the day, he's a contracted Everton player, and yeah, yeah, true. You know, obviously they've got to think about his development, but at the same time, you know, if you put yourself in Frank Lampard's position and his job's maybe under threat, and there's a lot of pressure, and he's not got any cover for Dominic Calvert Lewin, you know, why you know why wouldn't you bring Ellis Sims back for three weeks, see how he goes in training, yeah, um, yeah. and and hope that you're in a that your board puts you in a better position by the end of the month by signing you a more ready striker and then you can make a decision where Ellis Sims mm. goes back to someone and continues his development. That's the risk of doing non-business. Um, yeah, has been, it has been a strange window because across the game, I think we've seen it happen way more than we used to. I think generally the recall clauses are generally put in as sort of a last resort in case things go really badly. 
Um, I can't remember a window where it's been so aggressively used by parent clubs who are bringing so many players back and chopping and changing where they are. And maybe that's a sign of things to come. I don't know. Um, but yeah, listen, I, I still hope the window ends with, with Sims back to, to compete and Stewart. And we've got another exciting young player in the building as well. Um, and I, I do think it's best for our Sims to have another six months in the championship. Absolutely no doubt about it. But yeah. at the end of the day, that's the risk. That is the risk of doing loan business. And if you speak to you know anyone really seeing you at Sunderland, they'll tell you that by and large they want to avoid doing loans. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm sure we'll see that become a talking point again later in this window, wherever possible they want to make permanent additions, and they will push to make those additions permanent. We saw that with Broadhead back in the summer, where they were very keen if they were to do another deal to make it permanent. That's the best thing for the club moving forward. Um, sometimes, you know, you have to make a decision that you need a player, and the best way to do it is to have a loan. So Sims was a great example. Someone needed a striker, he was available, and he was of a certain level of quality, and it's proved well. Ahmad's another one. You know, Ahmad's lifted the level of the squad um, mm. because he is such a good player, and that's beneficial. Um, but generally, someone are really keen, I think, to have as few loans as possible or a loan with an option to buy where there is an investment in the player and there is the prospect of you know, a longer-term relationship. And I think that will become relevant again in this window. I think we'll be having this discussion again yeah. um, because I know they, what, they don't want to go out and sign three loanees, I don't think. Um, certainly not three loanees where there's no potential of long term, but we'll have to, you know, we'll have to wait and see how it shakes and, out. And, and to be fair, you do make valid points on, on the loan market and recall options because it's some it's something Sunderland have used themselves last season with with Patterson and Diamond. Slightly different circumstances in terms of there was illness, but Patterson ended up coming back and and was part of the team that got promoted. Uh, Sunderland promoted at Wembley, so I suppose it swings and roundabouts. What do you make, Phil, of the the pace of the transfer window? Should fans be a little concerned? I always think these two things are sort of juxtaposed. Um, there's that sort of want to do business, that excitement around the January transfer business, the sort of the the willingness in the in the the perception that it would be nice to get everything done early and not have to worry. But of the same volition, you don't want to be running in making transfer mistakes, which we've seen Sunderland do plenty of times over the years. Yeah, I think yeah, it is obviously it is better to get you in your business done early. I think especially because I think it is more focused with Sunderland because obviously you're in that position where you only have one striker. So we are still in the position where, you know, an, an injury to Stuart and all of a sudden your next three, four games become very challenging. And so, yeah, I have absolutely no qualms with that. There is a pressure to get the business done. For, for, so from my perspective, I, at this stage, I don't feel hugely concerned because I feel like, although it's been a slow window, I think someone came in with quite a clear idea of what they wanted, which was quality over quantity in a couple of positions. And at this stage, I don't get the impression that, too much has been derailed or been knocked off course and that. So I suppose I feel I still feel relatively comfortable I think with where they're at in terms of what they wanted to do. Um, yeah, so I think I, I certainly understand the concern particularly up front um, because very clearly going into a huge game on Sunday it would be much nicer to have three strikers rather than one. Um, but all, all I can say is I think it. I still feel relatively comfortable at this stage. We'll see a couple um, potentially a little bit more um, of good additions um, as much as you can never be sure with any transfer business can you but business that I think people will be sort of encouraged by and excited by um, but listen our January window makes fills of a sort on a regular basis so <laughs> 
No, absolutely. Uh, in terms of outgoings, Phil, just before uh, we round off the podcast, but you, you'd expect maybe if Sunderland get a, a few more attackers slash strikers that Leon Diaku could possibly go out on loan alongside maybe if, a few of the, the under-21 players as well. Is that all we should really expect from outgoings from Sunderland this window? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Unless obviously there's a you know a, a huge bid for a player, um, whoever that may be. Um, yeah, we 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 spoke to to, to Mowbray a couple of weeks back, and he said that you know they were looking at a couple of the more senior youngsters. If that's not too much of a contradiction in terms of going <laughs> on loan, um, you know, Matete went to Plymouth the next day. I think that was the big one, um, a player who was sort of almost there but not quite. I think, um, and I think Diak is in a similar category um, he would certainly be one who I think at the moment I don't know the situation is doing his development a huge amount of good he's not really getting any regular um, consistency either in terms of minutes or a position um, so I think it might be better for everyone at the moment if he goes and gets some minutes elsewhere I wouldn't expect a huge amount beyond that because it's not a huge squad um, I think Sunderland fairly deliberately run quite a small squad because it's better. To, they feel it's better to have everyone sort of really motivated and feeling like they're not far off getting in the team. So I don't think they're in a position where they can lose much more than what they've got. Niall Huggins is one where I thought maybe he would go out on loan, but speaking with Mowbray about it, I think Mowbray just kind of thinks he can cover both flanks, which is invaluable. And also I think Mowbray's of the impression that, you know what, after so long out, it's mm. not the worst thing in the world if Huggins dips in and out, you know, plays yeah. a game here, plays a game there. And then he can come back in the summer and have a full preseason, and then hopefully he's in a very different position. Um, other than that, you know, I don't see anybody really who I think is in need of really getting out. Obviously, you then go into the under twenty ones group. Um, you might view it slightly differently, but outgoing wise, unless there was a huge bid come in for a player, which at the moment there's not been any indication of, um, I don't see it being there being a huge amount. Um, I see it being quite, like I say, quite a quiet window generally. Um, yeah. Couple in. Um, maybe a few in, um, in, in one or two out, but I don't see much more beyond that, which is quite a nice place to be in, really. Um, feeling like you need tweaks rather than um, mm, whole skill changes, season saving surgery. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just lastly, lastly, while I've still got you, what did you make of, of the Jack Diamond talk flying around? I know you spoke to Tony Mowbray about this. He's out on loan at Lincoln. There was a suggestion that he could come back. Can you see that happening? Not at the moment, I can't. Um, you know, Mowbray said it wasn't something he'd discussed with anybody at the club. Um, although he did say it wouldn't necessarily be his decision, you know, as Christian Speakman, for example, who's ultimately Diamond's long-term development is his job, really, so he might have his own views on it, but um, you know, clearly it wasn't something that had been put on Mowbray as of 10 days ago. I think if you were going to bring Diamond back, the ideal game would have been the Shrewsbury one, because he could have brought him back, put him in training for a while, given him a start, a chance for Mowbray to have a look at him. Um, for me, the fact that he didn't come back for that game um, just indicates that they feel, and I would argue rightly so, that the best thing for him is he's playing every single week at Lincoln. He's got a really important role in the team. Um, he's playing like a senior player there. Um, six, six goals and an assist from this season in the league, which yeah, is just, a fairly decent return. If, if a, I would suggest that if a, Sun, a young Sunderland player had done that for Sunderland in League One, would be would be quite pleased. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I think it just makes sense to leave him, leave him there for the rest of the season. And then you can have a... I mean, Diamond probably isn't too far off um, I think Diamond's 22 now, isn't he? Um, Something like that, 22, 23. Yeah. I, he's probably not a long way off the point where you have to have a discussion about, well, if he isn't going to break through here, does yeah, he go and find a permanent go? home somewhere? Um, but I don't think we're there yet, personally, in January. I, I don't think there's any rush there. 
So for me, just let him play at Lincoln like he is every week. Come back and have a pre-season under the, the head coach at Summons and see where you're at. Obviously, there's a couple of things that could change. That would be, you know, if Ahmad suddenly got recalled, um, maybe yeah, you would view yeah. it differently. If there was a major injury to one of your wide players and you didn't feel you were ready to go and do a deal in the market, then you might do it. Um, but I don't see either of those things happening. So I would be surprised if Diamond came back. Brilliant. Well, that just about brings us to an end. I keep saying we're going to do short podcasts, Phil, but here we are on on nearly thirty minutes. Yeah, I'm tired. That did feel like a long one, but that's what, <laughs> that's what the transfer window does for you. Indeed, indeed. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Thanks once again, Phil, for uh, for joining us and imparting your wisdom. Um, you can head over to the Southern Echo website for all of the latest on transfers, and there's even some stuff on the actual football as well, which is always worth a read at this time of year. We'll also be previewing the Middlesbrough game in the upcoming days. But yeah, once again, thank you very much for listening.